to welcome everybody for coming out tonight to our third night of going through some of these well-known Christmas carols. So we're glad you could be here this evening. What we've done each night is we've sung the Christmas carol um, that we're then going to speak on. And this is not our first time singing it, as many here would know. We, we end the night by singing the carol that we're going to sing the next night. So uh, we've used that as free advertisement and also a good way to practice um, what we're going to preach on then, the next, the next night. So it's very doctrinally sound uh, to practice what we're going to preach. So this evening, as is probably known to many, uh, our Christmas carol that we're going to sing tonight is found on page number two, page number two, and it is Silent Night, Silent Night, what is probably considered to be one of the most famous Christmas carols uh, of all time. Uh, I think it changes position between one and two with O Holy Night. But we're going to sing this one together tonight. Three stanzas here of Silent Night. The first verse says, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. The last verse says, Silent Night, Holy Night. Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. So we'll sing this entire carol together this evening before we speak about it. Silent night, Oh, yeah. 
renditions on the way up, everyone seemed to end with verse number one again. So I thought we would stick with what everyone else was doing. That sounded wonderful, and uh, you weren't in the Christmas spirit, um, and you're not now, and never will be. So um, very good. Good to see everyone out tonight, and see uh, so many here on such a uh, bad weather evening, but we're glad that you're here to be with us tonight. And this evening is our third night in a series of six nights of Christmas carols, and we're going to look at this well-known Christmas carol tonight, Silent Night. And at the end of our meeting, so there's no surprises, we're going to sing tomorrow's Christmas carol, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So that's going to take a certain amount of effort, too, so we'll preserve our voices there for that. Before we open up the Bible and speak on this carol, we'll ask for God's blessing on the meeting. Our Father, we give thanks this evening that you brought us together, and that you brought us together for the express purpose of sharing the good news of salvation that we are assured of because of the work of Calvary and because of the one who died at Calvary, your Son and our Savior, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are very grateful this evening uh, that you brought us here and that we have a message to speak, and not just a message that has only affected our minds, but it's affected our hearts and our eternities, our destination, and even our lives right now. And so we are so glad to share it with whoever is willing to listen. We pray, Lord, that as we proclaim your Son as the Savior for the whosoever this evening, that even by using the words in this very well-known Christmas carol at his birth, that we could speak about one who was born, uh, yet one who was born in order that he might redeem, and that he might do so in order that we would know that we were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So give us help this evening. We pray, Lord, for uh, an attentive meeting, and a meeting where, once again, we ask that there would be salvation of very precious souls. This we ask in your Son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, um, a lot of the verses that we've been going over have been what you would typically say have been Christmas-themed verses, but um, the line that I'm really looking to speak on, or just the phrase in this Christmas carol tonight, is in verse number three, and uh, it's been on my mind a lot, and I want to talk about it as well as I can this evening from this Christmas carol, and it's that, 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 that phrase, redeeming grace. Redeeming grace. And I was thinking of scriptures to read, and one came to mind, very well known to many of us. We're going to read that together, and that's Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're going to read a verse together, verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. We're going to read this verse, and uh, we'll come back to it and talk about it. But it has, it has both those words in it, redemption and grace, which are such important words if you would like to be saved tonight, to be purchased, and how, and by who, and do you deserve it, is what the other word will tell us about. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, let's read it here together, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, in whom, that's the Lord Jesus, we have, not everyone can say that tonight, but you could say that by the end of this meeting, if you can't right now, in whom we have, Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We'll read that one more time. In whom, that's the Lord Jesus, 
We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. To be purchased by someone tonight because you have a debt you can't pay. Someone who's willing to, to, to pay your debt, to buy you back. And you say, oh, do I deserve it? I'm so glad that our Christmas carol addresses that and says, no, you don't deserve it. But that's what grace does. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. Tonight, we're going to talk about this well-known Christmas carol, Silent Night. Silent Night, as I've said before, is probably the most popular Christmas carol that is known by this world. And uh, I'm going to try to prove that, or at least bring out some of the facts and details that I looked over this week in preparation. But to give you the backstory of Silent Night is a story in itself. It's a remarkable story, and it, it starts with two men. One's name was Franz Gruber. You can tell these guys weren't from Connecticut. Franz Gruber and the other guy's name, Joseph Moore. Now, he probably could be from Connecticut. Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber, two young men who grew up. And just to give you some idea, Joseph Moore didn't even have, didn't know who his dad was. Didn't know who his father was, grew up. Franz Gruber, he was, he was raised by his dad. His dad wanted him to be a weaver. I guess that was a, a good job, just weaving and, 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 and taking care of this shuttle and, and, and making garments and different textiles like that. It was appropriate because later on, Franz Gruber would go to be an incredible guitarist and write the melody for this Christmas carol. But just to think about the other man, Joseph Moore, he was born in Salzburg, Austria in 1792, one year after the most famous person who was ever born in Salzburg, Austria died. You say, who was that? None other than Mozart. Mozart died in 1791, and one year later, Here's a man, you think, could he compete with Mozart? Well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, yes. Joseph Moore, born in 1792 in Salzburg, Austria. And here these young men grow up. One has no father. The other one, his dad wants him to go into the family trade of being a weaver. And yet both of them are so enraptured with music and melody and and. and and constantly, as most Austrians are, it's a very well-known fact, when you look for good singers, you usually don't go to New Jersey, you go to Austria, right? And then this is, this is the fact in our story here. These young men grow up, one in Obendorf and the other one in Inderdorf, I think, if I have it right, the two places in Austria. And one was given, he, had a, he was a minister in a church there in Obendorf. And, and in that church, as in a lot of churches, and not in this one, there was a, a, a grand organ that was there to help people sing week after week after week. And when it came to the Christmas of 1818, that organ was nowhere to be found in shape that could play anything on Christmas Eve. One person from the church was remarked as saying that when they played the organ, it sounded more like a wheezing, sneezing old man than it did a musical instrument. And so in that Christmas Eve, as it was approaching, and, and, and young Francis, uh, young, John, uh, young Joseph Moore, he, he's looking for a way in which, how will he satisfy the people without an organ? And he knew that two years before that, he had penned down some words in a poem form, and it was six stanzas, this poem, and he had called it, if you were to say it in his uh, language, um, which I don't think I can. Schleinert macht. 
right? Silent Night. And he had written this two years before, 1816. But just kind of, you ever do something, you just tuck it away, and if anybody finds it, you're awfully embarrassed. Someone write, finds your poetry. You don't want anyone to find that because people then can see what's inside your heart. And so he tucked it away, but yet at this emergency, a Christmas Eve with no organ, he went and visited his friend Franz Gruber, who lived about three kilometers away in Inderdorf, and there he brought to his friend, and some people say it was on Christmas Eve, but more people say it was the day before. So it was the 23rd of December, and he showed him his poem, and he said, can you come up with a melody for this? He goes, we have no organ. He says, but if you can come up with a melody, and you play your guitar, and I'll sing, and we will give the people in Oberndorf something to celebrate on the eve of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did just that. He came up with what is considered to be one of the most masterful tunes that has ever been known. In fact, the tune itself is written in a fashion, if you want to go look it up later, it's called the Siliciana uh, kind of tune, and you say, when you sing it, they say, my wife said it sounded like a lullaby. That's because she's doing that with a baby at night. But, but more people say it. It sounds like the way the waves crash back and forth. They just exchange. And it made sense because Joseph's Moore congregation were all shipbuilders. They were all maritime men. They were involved in the, uh, the, the salt industry. And there they were, so, so frequent on the seas. And to think that all they knew in their life was that rocky back and forth. And that Christmas Eve, they were going to hear, composed there for the first time in Oberndorf, a song that had been set to the tune of their very job, Silent Night. And so then, on that night, Franz Gruber and his friend Joseph Moore, lovers of music, for the first time in world history, in their own native tongue, performed for a very small congregation without an organ, Silent Night. And you say, is that where the story ends? No, no. Because a week later, a week later, Carl Marauder came from about 10 kilometers away to fix the organ. And uh, whatever he had to do to turn it from an old wheezing man back into a, a young, vibrant organ, he did the trick and he said to Joseph Moore, he said, okay, it's finished, it's, it's, it's done, it's fixed, play something. And Joseph Moore got on that organ, and of all the songs to play, he played Silent Night. And he was so impressed, the, 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 the organ repairman. Because this is, this is incredible, uh, to, to, be, to, to hear this, this incredible melody, simple message played all over again, and he took it back to his town of Zingland. Zingland, something like that. And he took it back to his town, and there he played it for people. And there were two families that then came to his town. One of them was this well-known family called the Rainers. And they were an Austrian family that would tour Europe, singing songs for people in their native tongue. And eventually, by 1839, they made it down to Lower Manhattan in a building that is still there, that you can still go into, and it's called Trinity Church. And they went into Trinity Church in 1839, and for the first time, Silent Night, not in English, was heard in the United States. And it wasn't actually for another 30 years, or 20 years, until 1859, that another man, John Freeman Young, he translated that German poem into English. And that's how we have Silent Night.
holy night. And he did that, and ever since then, it's all history. It has gone on without any competition, except for maybe O Holy Night, to be the grandest, most famous, most cherished Christmas carol of all time. Over 200 years old, and still, there's nothing to compete with it. And even as you listen to it, you can't help, but even listening to it without the words, it still does something to you. Somehow it brings you to Bethlehem. Somehow it, it, it gives you a vision of the manger that somehow few people have been privileged to see except for shepherds. And somehow it does that through that melody and through those words, and it tells us about a, a young mother, a child who was mild, a young child who, who didn't have any, any harsh features. And really, when we still look at the Lord Jesus, we're still the same thing. So even, so mild. And so when we look at this carol, we're going to talk about it tonight and its place in history. I was just thinking of all the ways in which we could talk about it. But this fact, and this last line here, and it says this, uh, uh, a Christmas carol that is so focused on the night, the night and the darkness and, and all that could be encapsulated in that. Yet in that final verse, it seems that light breaks through. And it's right there that we read about the Son of God and how is his love described, but pure light. How is his glory described, or his face, radiant beams from heaven above? And how is his work described? The dawn, the beginning, the sunrise of redeeming grace. That's what I want to speak about this evening. And I want to talk about three things, and then our meeting will be over. Redeeming grace, that's something you should be aware of, something you should know about tonight. That in order for you to be saved, someone had to pay a price. And when someone pays a price, when you open gifts this Christmas, I want you to reflect on this. As soon as you open that gift, you ask yourself a question. Do I deserve this? And if you say yes, you're wrong. Ten out of ten times. You know, anytime we open a gift, there's one thing that's built into that gift, and it's just this. No one deserves gifts. Gifts are given. You deserve to get paid for things. And the Bible tells us that we get paid for our sins, and we die. But gifts are never deserved. And yet God has done something. He has paid a cost in order that you could be saved, and you don't deserve it, but he still did it. We're going to talk about that redeeming grace. We're going to talk about the power of redeeming grace. We're going to talk about the peace, peace of redeeming grace. And we're going to talk about the proof of redeeming grace. All the stories that revolve around Silent Night. The power of redeeming grace. If I ask you how many languages amazing grace is translated into, I think some people would say here they go Spanish, English, Italian, Canadian, no wait. Uh, and I would say uh, probably in, uh, it's probably in Chinese, it's probably translated into Portuguese, it's probably translated into Hindi, and you'd probably start counting all the numbers that, that Amazing Grace, one of the most popular Christian hymns of all time that John Newton penned so long ago. And you say, oh, it must be a lot, David, it must be a lot. Fifty. Fifty languages for Amazing Grace. It's a small world after all. How many languages? You say, 
25, it's quite a large world, quite a large world for only 25 languages. There's a lot of people who don't know it's a small world. You say, just 25 languages, and you can sing, happy birthday. There's someone here tonight, and it's his birthday. If we were to sing happy birthday, every known language that happy birthday has been written in, we would only get to 30, and we would have to stop, because that's all it's been. Silent night, over 100. 100 languages. You say, that's amazing. 100 languages. One of the first songs to be heard on all seven continents. Over 750 versions of this. You say, that's incredible. There's maybe not a, a person on earth right now who could not find someone within a mile of them who has heard this song, Silent Night. They say right now on earth, if there are 8 billion people, at least half of them know or have heard Silent Night, Holy Night. That's incredible that it's reached that many people, that the power of this ancient carol has, has gone beyond boundaries that were political, has gone past boundaries of oceans and of temperatures, of equators and tropics, and has gone everywhere that man has been, so that whether you know of snow or Santa or trees, and if you don't, chances are you still know the words, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Mm -hmm. You say, that's incredible. The power of something like that. What a powerful Christmas carol. I know of only one thing that's more powerful. And that's redeeming grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I cannot go and leave this building and just assume that everyone knows Silent Night, because there are still people who don't. But you know what I can do? I can close my eyes and I can point to any person in this hall tonight and point exactly at you and say, Christ died for your sins. With absolute confidence. Not a doubt in my mind. I could point to anyone here tonight. Anybody. Anybody. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Doesn't matter what you think of me or think of him. Doesn't matter if you believe in the Bible or you don't. I can say with the power that is in the scriptures, and what it tells me about him, and what God has said, that Christ died for your sins. You know what's unfortunate? Is that I can say that about anybody here tonight, but not everybody believes it. You know, there's a lot of people who you could say, I could sing and I could tell everyone about the, the birth of Christ, but not everyone believes it's true. A lot of people have heard Silent Night and they think it's a fairy tale. But yet here, the Bible tells me, here's the power of this message. Here's the power that, that silence, as we've sung about, silent night. What was the silence broke with? Because that's important. Everyone here likes quiet. So some people may not even like the way I speak, but everyone likes it when it's quiet. And you get real quiet. Whatever breaks your silence must be important. You think about that. Think about that silent night in Bethlehem long ago. It had been 400 years since anyone had heard God's voice. 400 years since anyone had heard God speak to man. It had been 4,000 years since a man had ever been on this earth without a sin. And it only lasted for, for just a brief time. And yet on that silent night, the earth's silence was broke. With a man, not with a man, but with a child. A child who was born in Bethlehem, who had no sin, and was God's final message to men. 
What a man to break the silence. To break the silence. Isn't that incredible to think tonight that silence was broken with a child, Jesus Christ. At his birth, God spoke and he spoke so loud because he told us, here's one who will save you from your sins. Here's one who's going to be able to pay the cost to buy you back. And there, on that silent night, silence was broken. 400 years, 4,000 years, whatever it was. Never again would men be able to say, I don't know what God wants to say. Because after that, there's not a person alive who does not know that God has spoken. And he's told us what he wanted to say. And he told us that in a man and in a cross. And a man who died for you. You know, one day, the Bible says, all of us are going to remain silent because we will have no excuse to give as to why we did not listen to this man, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Everyone's got an excuse. I don't care who you are. You, you do something, and your parents say, I don't want to hear it. In your mind, you're saying, if only I could tell them. You know, one day, one day, it's sad to think that there will be people and, and I always thought that it was that their mouths were closed and it was like a zipper. No, it's because they will know, every single one of them, when they look at the man who died for them, and it's asked, why did you never accept him? Just silence. You'll have no reason, no excuse. Just like the power of silent night has reached everywhere in this world, the power of the gospel, who here does not know of the Lord Jesus, of the death on the cross, that he died for you, for your sins, that you might be in heaven. If I could say you 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, he did it for you. And yet tonight you've never said to yourself, he did it for me. It's still for someone else. The power of redeeming grace, just like the song, is found in the words and in the work of Jesus Christ. The peace of redeeming grace. One of the most famous stories. That Silent Night, besides its story, has ever produced, is often thought to be just a fake. People think it's just a myth. It's also not true. And yet you go back and read and there's pictures, there's documentation, there's proof. And this event is called the Christmas Truce of 1914. And there, World War I, World War I saw 20 million individuals lose their life and go out into eternity. 20 million people. World War I saw something like 3.8 billion bullets fly through the air. Billion with a B. Fly through the air. Some people said World War I, the only noise that you could ever think of was the whizzing and whirling and, and constant noise of machine gun and rifle fire. But it never stopped. There was a, a western front that went through France and went through different parts of Belgium there, and, 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 and that's where there were two sides. There was a German side, and until 1917, actually Americans weren't even over there. It was just the English, and it was Scottish people, and it was French people, and they were fighting each other in this world war. So many men, so many deaths. And here they were, down in these trenches, probably about five feet deep. They said, oh, it was so muddy, so cold. And they had been fighting for well over a year at this point. Miserable conditions. As that Christmas Eve approached, 1914, there they were hunkered down. One man said he looked over to the German side 
and they had made little Christmas trees and put them on top of their trenches. And they had lit candles and also placed them just on top of the trench so that the other side could see, could see presumably. When you look at the facts of what happened in that, it's attributed that on that Christmas truce, there was a man, and his name was, I wrote it down here, Walter Kirchhoff. He was part of the Berlin Orchestra. Tough to think that you could sing and then fire a rifle, but he did both. Walter Kirchhoff there was known for his singing capabilities. They said when he let out his voice, you could hear it. You could hear it. They said if it was three football fields, he'd have no problem. They didn't use football fields because they didn't play football. But there, one trench from another was about 30 yards, 90 feet. And Walter stood up in his trench without his head going over it, but echoed his voice and, and projected his voice as he could. And in German, he began to sing the world's most popular Christmas carol, Silent Night, in the German language. And of all the songs to sing, we're glad in 1940 that he sang the song that was known on all seven continents, and it was all translated into over 100 languages. Because on the other side, the English, the Scottish, and the French, all were able to stand as well and to echo back with the same sentiment, all is well, all is calm, all is brave. To think that in that bloody war, that for the first time on a Christmas Eve, Grown men sang one to another about the birth of Christ. And then they went to bed. The next morning on Christmas Day, one German, as a result of just the emotion of having sung together the night before, he got his hands up and he said, you no shoot, we no shoot. And he got up out of his, out of his trench, had his hands up over his head, and it said that there was over 100,000 men across that western front who came together in what was called no man's land. Right in the middle there, those 30 yards, sometimes wider, sometimes narrower. And those men came together, they exchanged buttons from their uniforms. Some of them gave photographs to one another, chocolate. Some of them gave drinks to each other. They exchanged thoughts and they exchanged sentiment. Some of them wrote cards down. And all this, some of them played soccer. And all this, you think, how is that possible? On the 23rd, bullets whizzing back and forth. On the 24th, a well-known Christmas carol. On the 25th, over 100,000 men meeting in between in no man's land in order to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. On the 26th, which all of them considered to be Boxing Day, they all went back <laughs> into their trenches, and the fighting continued. And it's, it, you know, I read that and I thought, that's... That's just man, isn't it? It's almost unfortunate. When you ask the men about it, one of the last uh, surviving members of the Scottish military, of the Queen's forces, Albert Anderson, he said it was, just a, it was just a stunning moment. The evening was moonlit. He talked about the frost on the ground, the, the snow that had covered everything, as though war couldn't be made to look pretty. Well, it had been for just that occasion that the white snow had covered everything as they serenaded one another with this spectacular Christmas carol. And he said, and then it all, cacophony of noises all began again, and the bullets flared again. And actually, the reason that it's considered to be a myth to this day is for this reason and this reason only is because both sides hated each other enough that they thought if anybody knew that man could actually like one another, instead of hating their enemy, 
what kind of soldier would they be? And so even to this day, if you were to ask German historians, they would claim it never happened. Because why would you ever want to embrace your enemy in time of war? To think that that's at the heart of man. I think sometimes of the power of peace. And I think of what happened on that day, and you say, that's remarkable. 3.5 billion bullets that flew, that made contact with over 20 million men, that sent them into an eternity of either heaven or hell. And you say, yet just one day of peace in that long six-year war. And you say, man, just one day. When we take one day of peace in exchange for the loss of 20 million lives, and you say, no, no, it's not worth it. You know what the remarkable thing about Calvary is? The remarkable thing about the cross of Calvary is that it wasn't one day of peace. It was one action. Sometimes we wonder, who really, who really thought of that plan? I've read to you what a lot of historians think was that one man with the great voice who stood up and started to sing that he started it all. But the man who planned the greatest peace known to man was the God of heaven. The God of heaven who sent his son, and the Bible tells us that he makes peace, not through song, and he doesn't make peace through candy. He doesn't make peace through something that you can, you can touch or you can taste, but he made peace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants you back. He wants to, to get you back. It's remarkable to think that the, the same man who hung the world on nothing, he hung on a cross so that you and him could have peace. You know, I, I think of those men, those Germans and, and, and those Frenchmen, the Germans and the English that day who come together and, and shook hands and hugged. You know what? I think of Calvary. And, and, and if I had been at Calvary, I would have been the person who was spitting. I would have been the person who wanted to, to hit him. I would have been the person who, who wanted to give me the hammer to hit the nail. And maybe you would have too. What's so amazing about Calvary is that the same men who wanted to put the nails in his hands, the same men who wanted to hit him, the same men who wanted to insult him and spit at him, were the same men that three days later the Lord Jesus Christ was coming at with open arms in order to make peace with. That's incredible. That, that, that the same people who crucified him, he loved. The sinners whose sins he was dying for, he loved. And, and he longs. He comes after people. You know, that day, the, the, the no man's land, where those men met, that was, that was in the middle. You know, you know they, they, had to come they had to come 15 yards, and, and the other side had to come 15 yards. They had to meet in no man's land in order to embrace and to have peace. Jesus Christ didn't meet us in no man's land. He met us where we were. He came just to where we were in order to save us from dying in our sins so that he could take us to where he is, heaven above. He didn't come to no man's land. He came to this world. If I die the way I was born, I will be in a place worse than no man's land. But if I die with Jesus Christ as my 
forgiving, redeeming Savior, I have everything. Everything. Everything I could ever want. Nothing more to gain. Peace. Real peace. Not just, not just like a, a shake of hands and, and, a, and a flimsy I'm sorry, but real peace with the God that I'm an enemy of. You think of your greatest enemy. You think of even our, our world that we live in. And we might even talk about that on the last night. Peace on earth. No such thing. But real peace with the God of heaven. And it's offered said, would you want this? Would you want this? The power of peace because of a God who paid a cost when he sent his son and the blood that was shed in order that you could have peace with God. The proof. The proof of it all. I like this the most. You ever do something and not get credit? If you haven't, it'll happen soon enough in life. That's one of the most um, maybe trying moments in life. One thing that shows a lot about who you are is what happens when you do something really great and you don't get the credit. It's when like, you, you make your bed and your brother gets credit for doing it. It's when you take out the garbage and somehow someone thinks that the garbage fairy came, right? And you, you don't get credit for it. You say, you know who did that? I did that. And, and you want someone to recognize that you were the one who did it. You want to know who mowed the lawn? I did it. You want to know who wrote that paper? I did it. You want to know who did it? You ever do a group project? And it's always the person who's a little more bold, who stands at the front when you go to present. I can remember a couple of group projects I did in eighth grade in biology, and it was always the other kid who, who went to the front, and there we were in the back, and thinking he didn't do anything. And he wanted all the credit. He's saying, oh, I hate those. I hate that. I hate those people. You know, Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber, people didn't believe they wrote Silent Night. You say, oh, it's just for a couple of years. No, no, actually until 1995. You say, just, that was just 27 years ago. This is over 200 years old. People thought that sounded so good, the way that that melody brought you back and forth, the verses, the, the, the imagery. You say, so fantastic. Who wrote this? Some people said Beethoven. Beethoven wrote it. Some people said Mozart. Some people said Hayden. Some people just name people that you hear on classical radio still today that we consider to be the, the greats of our musical heritage in this world. But no one, no one believed that Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber wrote Silent Night. Until, in 1995, in an old historic antique shop in Vienna, Austria, an original manuscript dating back to 1818 was found in the handwriting of Joseph Moore with Franz Gruber's name on it. And there it was. The original six verses, we only sing six, three, and one. The original six verses to the most well-known Christmas carol the world has ever known, with both men's names, and not just their names, but in their own hand. You say, finally, finally, justice is done. Someone gets the credit. You say, they're dead. Both of them died penniless. Franz Gruber had 12 children. Joseph Moore died with one daughter. You say, actually, no, he had no children died, and you say, nothing, no, no, nothing to give, nothing, nothing uh, to turn over, no one, you say, who, who actually at the end of the day really thought that these two individuals who came onto the scene of time in Austria and then departed shortly after, it would take over a hundred and seventy years for someone to actually find, find what? 
just a piece of paper. So a piece of paper with a couple guys' names on it in their handwriting. And that was enough so that since then, without any shadow of a doubt, no one thinks it was Beethoven, no one thinks it was Mozart, no one thinks it was Hayden. Everybody knows that the Christmas Carol that has been translated into 100 languages has reached all seven continents, has over 800 versions, and is number one year after year after year, was written by the two young Austrian men, Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber, in the year 1880. You say, I like it when people get credit and when there's proof. So do I. One day, I'm going to be in heaven. It could be tomorrow, it could be five years from now, it could be 50 years from now, but one day I'll be there, heaven, H-E-A-V-E-N. And I'll be there, and a lot of other people will be there, and Jesus Christ will be there, and you say, who's going to get the credit for that? Why will I be there? Why will I be in heaven? Why will you be in heaven? Why won't you be in heaven? You know, this won't happen, but, but if I get there to the shores of heaven, and maybe we'll sing silently there, I don't know. And, and, and when I get there, someone says to me, we need some proof. You know, I could just hold up a piece of paper. I could just hold up a piece of paper that has a name on it, and it's written by him, and it tells me this. It tells me this, that I was purchased, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That, 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 that I have been redeemed. I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That him... And him alone, he's the only reason I'll be in heaven. What he did on the cross was enough to buy me. Do I deserve it? No. And that day I'll say, this piece of paper here, that, that, that'll never ever wear out, does not say I deserve it. This piece of paper says that I deserve actually to be in, in hell. But this piece of paper here was written by the God of heaven in his own handwriting. And it has a name on it, his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And it tells me this, that it is through his blood I have forgiveness of my sins according to the riches of his grace. I don't deserve it. But you know what? I think that's amazing. The credit, the proof, right here. Not in my feelings, not in the way I think, not in the way I say, but the proof that I'm forgiven and the credit is all contained in something that everyone here is going to go home with and it has in their laps. So I ask you once again to be redeemed. What a wonderful thing. And not only that, but to know the power of it. There's no one here who could not be redeemed. To know the peace that you would have with God and to know that the proof that you could have it, you're holding in your hands. You say, so much greater than Silent Night. It would be anything but a silent night if you were to get saved and know your sins forgiven tonight. Anything but silent. 
But one thing's for sure, if you were to get saved tonight, it would be the same reason that this Christmas carol has existed so long, because it tells us about one who redeemed us, mm -hmm. the Son of God, who loved me and loved you and gave himself for you. You could believe that tonight, and you would be saved. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for some of these great stories of old. And we acknowledge and we admit they are but stories. The details of them at times are anything but clear. What we are thankful this evening, though, is that when it comes to Calvary, it is anything but a story. It is the story. It is not only the story, it is the story of the most significant individual who has ever graced planet Earth. We're thankful, Lord, that the details are anything but fuzzy. They are so crystal clear that the man who was born in Bethlehem was born that he would die at Calvary and that he would rise again and that he could say, I have come to seek and to save those that are lost. Mm -hmm. We're asking, Lord, this evening that there would be those in our group and in this building tonight who would know that they are lost and they are in need of a Savior. We ask the Lord to help us to sing before we leave and also to bring us home safely. And we ask all this in your Son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing tomorrow night's Christmas carol. Tomorrow night's Christmas carol is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, we were talking the other night about Christmas carols that are scripturally accurate. So maybe go home tonight and go through the verses and say, hey, is this what the Bible says? Um, and you'd be surprised how much is in here uh, that the Bible does say. And so uh, it has been and will continue to be an incredible Christmas carol that's actually older than the one that we've done tonight, um, written by Charles Wesley. And thankfully, George Whitfield put his own two cents in and made it a little easier to sing. We'll sing it together, um, all three verses. Before we go home tonight, Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. We'll sing this one together on page number three. Hark, the herald angels sing. Hark the herald angels sing glory. Hang on, he was like, sing the Lord. <laughs> Hark the
Peace.